How is it the end of the year? <laughs> I don't know. Listen, it feels simultaneously like the longest year of my actual life and also the shortest one in some ways. Yeah. Anyway, I know people say that every year. Like, how is it possible? It's December, but... Okay, but no, really. <laughs> no, really. I mean, maybe it's just like this realization that we survived it in some way. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I my God. So. We did it. It started with an insurrection, and now here we are. Uh, listen. Ooh. <laughs> Barely hanging on. <laughs> I've had... Okay, so everybody, I've had like a, quite a few crazy things happen to me this week. You have had a rough week. Do you want to tell the class about I'm your I'm going to tell week? the class about my Hang on, week. everybody. Welcome to <laughs> Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I am Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and editor. I'm not going to say critic anymore. And I'm she's had a real rough week. Okay. You would, they say bad things come in threes. So I, tr- I feel that I can say this without jinxing, jinxing myself because it must be over. So our beloved cat Maddie, we had to put to sleep. Yeah, our podcast. I know. We told so Instagram, but I know if we didn't, if you didn't know Maddie, who some of you, ha- Eric certainly has heard purr many times. <laughs> many of our trailblazers have seen Maddie's tail go by, and we lost her. Yeah, and I would like to thank you to everyone who reached out. I put it on Twitter and then made it so people couldn't respond, just because I. Get, I was sort of, I feel sometimes overwhelmed. Like I have to, I just wanted to tell people I was sad. And I am still sad. But I also know that she was not in pain at the end, and that's what matters. Um, then on Wednesday, I drove over a full sized tire. Malia in just the road. walked in, though. Yeah, Malia's like, the door, you guys don't know this, but <laughs> there's a door behind Jen when we record, and that door opens opens every time we record. I know, and I try to be And it better, is but... usually a cat. Oh, yeah. Well, but no, there's only sometimes one. a man. <laughs> Today was a cat. So Wednesday, I drove over a full-size tire on Lakeshore Drive. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the... so scary. Was it there was a lot scary. of traffic? There was. So I couldn't swerve. I mean, you're basically like, I'm going to either cause a huge accident or I'm going to hit the thing in front of me. And you, it's better to hit the thing in front of you. No one was hurt, including me. So I do feel like I made the right choice. But my car is in the shop. Some really awesome ladies at the Hertz at 92nd and Stony Island got me into a rental car. I want to say thank you to them. And then uh, our refrigerator died. Now, that part I was, like, kind of upset about, but Mr. Reed's romance loves a gadget, everybody. So I'm now about to have a very fancy new refrigerator. But it's at first it was just the freezer that died. But apparently once that goes, the other side's going to. And this morning, everything in the fridge was kind of... So we have, like, a little mini fridge. We're going to move some stuff back there. But basically, yeah, I think this week's going to be rough. The new freezer comes on on Friday. And then you'll have ice. I'll have craft ice, everybody. (laughs) I love craft ice. I'll take a picture. Listen, that sounds delightful. I'll have ice As somebody who has lived in a walk-up apartment in New York City for 21 years, let me tell you, that sounds amazing. I will have not just one, but two automatic ice makers. One makes regular ice, one makes ice balls. Amazing. My refrigerator doesn't even have a cheese drawer, so... Are you even living... I don't even know what to do. You just, I, we have a Tupperware container in there <laughs> so that acts as a cheese drawer. Sure. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Our refrigerators are not interesting. Interesting banter. No. Um, but listen, I'm glad we're here. Here we are at the end of the week. We're recording Ooh. this episode. It's been rough. But now we're going to talk about the books that made it a little less rough this year. It's our best of the year episode, which a lot of you get very excited about every year. And we're, we get excited about it every year. And I just want to say right up front, we're releasing this slightly earlier than we usually do. Yeah. In part because there is a massive supply chain issue in right. the world and especially, well, I don't know about especially, but in the world and in publishing. Right. And we want to talk just a little bit about that before we get started because as usual, as happened last year, Old Town Books in Alexandria, Virginia – our friend of the pod, Allie Kirkpatrick, <laughs> and our our friends there have uh, offered up, a, are offering up a Faded Mates book box, uh, the best of 20, 
21 book box. You can get it from Old Town. It'll come with stickers from Faded Mates and swag from Old Town and a letter from Jen and me. And um, they have already placed all the orders for these books. They placed them a couple of weeks ago. We've been sitting on this episode for a while. Yes. Um, and you can order. You There will be links everywhere. Yes. Um, on show notes, in on Instagram, on Twitter. We'll change all the links everywhere so that you can, you have a very clear path to getting the Faded Mates Best of 2021 book box. And here's what the deal is. Because of a pandemic, plus shipping issues, plus what I've heard is like a paper slash cardboard shortage, it seems like a real nightmare out there, I'll be <laughs> honest. And um, so all books, like books are just being slow right yeah. now. It is where all the writers are having to hit super early deadlines in order to get the books out on time. Publishers are really concerned about supply chain stuff, paper, and boxes. Yeah, You've probably been hearing about this if you watch the news, which I don't <laughs> usually do, but I've spent a lot of time with my 80-year-old mom um, over the last month who is having a, had a knee replacement. All is fine. But I've watched a lot of nightly news with Lester Holt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they like to talk about this supply chain issue every night. But it's also been all over everywhere. Like, everyone's talking about it. So here's the takeaway. Please shop early. Yeah. From local stores. Local businesses are still suffering post-pandemic as much as the economy is coming back. Local businesses need our business. Independent bookstores need our business. Please shop locally. But that means please shop now. Yeah. Shop as early as you can. Know that the postal service shipping stuff is bananas. Everything is going to take extra time. If you're not going to see a person in person for your particular holiday, whatever it may be, appreciate that you're probably going to have to ship those gifts Early. weeks ahead of when yes. you ordinarily would have done to make sure that they get there on time. And independent bookstores are suffering the most because if, um, you know, the popular books of the year can't really be predicted always. What we know is that last year we sold a bunch of copies of these books from Old Town. And so in advance of that this year, Old Town has ordered the books. The boxes are being made already. And um, while shipping will, of course, be difficult, and we encourage you to order these books early and the box right. early if you're planning to order the box or ask for it from Santa. Maybe send your, send your letter to Santa a little early so that he knows to get that box in your hands as early as possible. And that is Sarah on Supply Chain. Thank you. I would just <laughs> like to add one of the things that I think we're hearing a lot from our friends who are booksellers is that, you know, people get really frustrated because a book's not in stock and they want to know when it will be in stock. And please do not hold the supply chain against frontline workers, right? Yep. So the person ringing you up at 57th Street Books cannot control whether or not there will be another copy yeah. of this book able to get to you. So just please, everybody, be, you know, shop what's in the store. Find something new and great that was on a shelf. If you were looking for, you know, a Sarah McLean novel on the shelf and it's not there, ask your local bookseller, like, who else? If I can't find that Sarah McLean book, who else should I be reading? Maybe buy one of these books that we're going to talk about today. Also, this is not a supply. Can I talk? Can we go back to banter for a minute? This Please. is not a supply chain problem. Oh, what supply chain pro isn't banter? That's not exciting, interesting banter. I don't know if it is or not, but <laughs> I. It's what it is. I just feel like we all are doing like the weirdest things to get through. And so I have a favorite eyeliner made by Clinique that was a very specific color. They discontinued. And <gasps> I just ordered four of them on eBay. That's because amazing. I was like, look. Then I just can put off my sadness about this color not being here anymore. That cosmetic thing is real. Why do they do that? I'm so annoyed. For many, many years, I bought Eric this uh, tobacco flower soap from mm. Fresh Cosmetics. And it smelled, it's why most of my heroes like smell of tobacco flower, period. A lot of them smell of tobacco flower because this soap just, oh, it was delicious. And they discontinued it. And my local Fresh store called me and said, they're discontinuing this. I, we've got 10 bars. And you were like, give them to me. Yeah. I bought four, and I should have bought all 10. What? Yes. I could have seen him through, like, a years. couple years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what? We're not going to do it first. This is going to end. This is going to be 
the book we do second actually has a tie-in to tobacco, believe it or not. So mm. let's go ahead and start because we have 10 books to get through today. Before we start, we're gonna I'm gonna say something. We've been talking about this list back and forth for, for months. What, a long time. Because the thing is, this reading has been so hard for so many of us this year. So I read many great books this year. Some of them are on the list and some aren't. This really, to me, it's like a very deeply personal, I mean, always it is, where I'm like, this is a book that got me through. This is a book that somehow hit a chord, made me feel that like sort of comfort. A lot of them are books that made me feel like I did when I read Romance when I was younger, Um So, you know, when we talk about, like, best of this year, we hope some of these feel really new because um, these are books that were, for me at least, I was really going back to old favorites, favorite authors, comforting storylines. So, you know, there are great books this year that aren't on the list, not because they're not great, but because we were almost looking to do something different. Totally agree. Well, for me, a lot of the deciding factor was we try really hard not to— recommend in this episode books that are by very close friends of ours. So that becomes so things like The Soulmate Equation, which would have ordinarily been on this sure. this list for me by Christina Lauren, did not is not on this list officially, though we will put it in show notes. Um, Adrian Herrera's One Week to Claim It All is like a, an almost perfect right <laughs> category. Um, and then, of course, there's Kate Claiborne's Love at First. Oh, my God. So which amazing. Which is what, definitely... Just, one of my favorite books of the year. Magnificent. And I think about it all. I mean, I think for me it was like, do I keep thinking about this book? Yeah. Ended up being. That's such a good question. The deciding factor. But for me, Jen's not had as hard a time reading as I have this year. And for me, and I think there are probably a lot of us out there. For me, a lot of this was, did I finish it? Yeah. I used to just be able to tear through a book and just, Mm -hmm. like, read it in two and a half hours. Now my, you know, this year has been really rough for me that way. And so my, a lot of books I started, I just sort of put down and never wandered, never came back to, and not for the fault of the book. It felt like this is kind of maybe going to be a a different list. And I'm hoping also some of these are going to be books we've maybe already talked about or books that were really big books. But then some of them I'm hoping are going to be like surprises where everyone will feel like, oh, there's something for me here, right? So as always, any list like this is deeply personal. Yeah. You know, please argue with us. Tell us about your favorite books. But Yeah, tell us about your favorites. I'm always in for that. Okay, so I'm going to start, and I'm going to start with the the easiest one for me, <laughs> because we literally just read it with all of you, Last week. and that is Hana Khan Carries On by Uzma Jalaluddin. Um, we, I said it last week. I will say it to anybody who asks me. It is possibly my favorite book of 2021, um, and I just think it is a glorious, funny thoughtful, nuanced, rom-com, contemporary (laughs) that makes me happy because I love the characters and I had a lot of joy when it ended and Hannah has lived in my head, as they say, rent-free since I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because it reminded me of what a great romance can be. During a time when, like, that has been really hard for me. Um, Not because there aren't great romances out there, but just because this one landed perfectly for me. So, I'm not going to say much more about it. I don't think we have to. We did a whole hour on it. Just because we did a whole hour on it doesn't mean that it's not deserving of this episode. And so, that is my first choice for this episode. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these, I will say, another reason we had a hard time with this is because so many of, we had so much overlap. So in previous years, it's been kind of like we've had really different ones, and then we could each talk about them. But in this case, yeah, Hanukkah was such a great read, and I'm so pleased that I loved it. I, I think about it a lot, and so it's got that same metric for me. Mm-hmm. So go back to listen to last week, everybody. We don't want to give it to short shrift, but we do. We we spent so much time on it last week, and it's so great. Yeah. If you thought about it last week and you hadn't read it. Uh, and you didn't buy it, here's your shot. Okay, so you said tobacco flower. I feel I like did. there's going to be an organic way in which the list unfolds. So cool. I am going to talk about a book called Careless Whispers 
by Cynthia Williams. And I want to talk about this. This series is actually part of a series. Now, listen, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but the the covers of this series are really spectacular examples of modern clinches. These are deeply lovely romances to like look upon. But what I really liked about them, so the reason I kind of went back to Cynthia Williams, she started out, I think, in category romance. And she is just one of those authors who, to me, is like a really, like every book by Cynthia Williams is going to be a book I enjoy reading. And those, to me, in times of like hard times, you're like, who is someone who I know knows how to write a solid, good, like sexy romance every time? Mm-hmm. And this series is about the Robido family. I think this is book three of the series. Um, I've read them all. And it's got like a real like soapy, almost kind of feeling. So the Robido family, are they own tobacco, a tobacco company. And the the patriarch of the family, their father, is like got that real meddling kind of like soap opery, like meddling in his kids' lives. And in book number one, the youngest Robido sister ends up marrying her sister's ex-husband, which is <gasps> juicy. Scandal. So juicy. So scandalous. I actually believe it was called Scandalous Secrets. How well you know the genre. <laughs> and in this book, we get that sister, Elena. And she has been groomed her entire life, essentially, to end up taking over the father's company. But, of course, the father can't really let it go. And she essentially has become you know, really uh, closed off from people. She's drinking too much. She has recently, the beginning is she has essentially getting out of bed with like this boyfriend who she thinks they've like reconnected after the time. She's kind of uh, excited about this new relationship. And it turns out he is just using her for her money and her connections. So she dumps him. And I was like, what a great start to like really show that this is like a, you know, a mature woman who has a life. And her father fires her and hires her like big nemesis at work, Alex Tyson. And of course, Elena and Alex are going to be the romantic pairing of the book. So good. Work nemesis. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what I really loved about this? I mean, okay, so the whole like work plot line, I mean, some of it's like romance reasons, but it's really... Like, I don't know. It just is so richly layered. And so I loved Elena. I loved her prickly demeanor. I loved how, you know, there's a part in the book that really resonated with me where she basically says, I was never raised to to apologize for going after what I wanted, but somehow I also never got what I wanted. Mm. And it just felt so perfectly 2021. You know, Mm -hmm. so this is if you I mean, so, you know, to me, this was just a really like satisfying, perfect romance. It's got that enemies to lovers vibe. The work conflict is really like dynamic and rich, like kind of what she wants and what she's been raised to do. This idea of like I was told my entire life I'd run the company and then my father yanked it out from under me, you know, that like kind of meddling patriarch, and then her reconnecting with her siblings who, you know, she's always been kind of held apart from because of the way she was treated. So I really loved this book. I loved this redemption arc for this character. I loved her romance with Alex. Um, And I loved, I just love this series. So if you have not read a book by Cynthia Williams, I really recommend it. And Tobacco Flower. Tobacco Flower. It's perfect. A tobacco company. All right. So my segue from that is I want to talk about meddling matriarchs. Mm, Nice. Because this is such a classic romance trope where a parent or a grandparent or a will, (laughs) you know, decides— the future of the main characters. And we know that, like, the will thing is, like, pretty hazy and not entirely (laughs) legal, but who cares? I mean, I really honestly don't care. Like, if there's a will involved... Romance reasons. Please. Like, I don't need this to be... This is not nonfiction. (laughs) 
let that will just ride. Okay, so my pick, um, and also it could I I was trying to figure I was trying to decide what my segue was because initially it was going to be really reliable writers. Like yeah. writers who I know they will deliver me a book that I will adore and I can sit for three hours and just lose myself in. And for me, and I've said this before, that's Lorraine Heath. I don't understand why Lorraine Heath isn't like the biggest name in romance because I think she is just so great. At the job. Every time. Every time. And this year she wrote a book called Scoundrel of My Heart, which is the first book in her Once Upon a Dukedom series. Um, That's how you get Duke right in the title all the time. All the time. Right on the cover. Well done. Um, This book is not about a Duke, though. This is about a second son who is kind of at the beginning, this like scoundrelly, rapscallion-y, rakey, like, delight. He's, you know, a second son. He's got a ton of money. He's kind of a wastrel. But, like, he's a decent, like, he's a good guy. He's just, he's, like, a fun, playful character on the page. And we meet him uh, basically waking up in the hedgerow of his family's estate, having just, like, drunk himself into a hedgerow collapsing stupor. And um, he is woken up by his sister and her best friend, sister's best friend, um, Catherine, who is in a pickle. And this is why. Catherine has to marry a title in order to inherit this seaside cottage that she has loved her whole life that belonged to her grandmother. But her grandmother believed that, like, you never marry a second son you, because, you know, second sons are rakes and scoundrels. I mean, you know, very romancy here. Like, sure. just lose yourself in this historical romance nonsense. The second sons are ne'er-do-wells and scoundrels, and they're not taught to be responsible, and they're not taught to, like, give any care to the people around them. Marrying a title is marrying security, and even if it's not a love match, at least you have security and money, and Mm -hmm. you can live your life however you want. And she knows that Catherine is, like, wild about this cottage by the sea, this very small, beautiful cottage by the sea. And she says to her, in my will, or in her will, she leaves this cottage to her on the condition— I love it. Of course. That she must marry a title before she turns 25. And if she doesn't, no pressure. The cottage will fall to the uh, to her to a man in the line of succession. Someone terrible. I'm, Catherine I does not. Catherine is child to the heir of this, you know, dukedom or whatever. I forget what her father is. Her father's a thing. Has a title, Earl, maybe. Um, but she is his only child, so there are no boys. She, it won't fall to a brother. It'll fall, fall to her like terrible uncle and cousin and whatever. And it does matter. Point is. She doesn't marry a duke, to, a duke or a, a title by her 25th birthday. She's out of luck. She Game over. Yeah. So she, there just so happens to be a duke who is um, a very forthright, sort of straightforward dude who doesn't want to muck about with courtship. He would like who every would? woman who wants to marry his dukedom to write him a letter. <laughs> Apply for the job, please. Uh, yeah, he wants basically an application. Like, please send me a letter that tells me all the ways that you would be a great duchess, and then I will host a ball. I mean, it's so Lorraine Heath. It's so I crazy. It. I will host a ball, and then at the stroke of midnight or whatever, I'm going to announce the woman who won the job of duchess. So she's trying to write this letter. Griff, our heroine, is our hero, rather. Griff, our hero, is like... Uh, this Duke doesn't want to know that you are good at playing piano. Like, he wants to know that you're, you know, have beautiful eyes and, like, mm-hmm. a brilliant mind and whatever, whatever. And so she's like, oh, I really like it when Griff tells me all the things that he likes about me. And also, I like the cut of his jib, as they say. Of course. And Griff, of course, is like, I like the cut of her jib, but she wants to marry, she has to marry a title. And so, of course, like, we go rollicking down this thing. Here's the thing I love about this book. There's, like, not a single scene in this book where the two of them are not together. Oh, yeah, that you got Until the end when you're like, oh, my God, they're not together. (laughs) You're like... (laughs) heartbroken on the floor because that's what Lorraine Heath delivers you. Anyway, story goes, so she, so this big ball happens. 
the Duke is like, I choose Catherine, of course. Of course. And it turns out that the reason why he chooses Catherine is not because she wrote him a letter, because she did not write him a letter. I'm not spoiling very much. This is all, like, in the first quarter of the book. <laughs> this is what I love about romance. Listen. Like, I got to talk for 10 minutes about this setup. Lorraine Heath's books move so fast. So she didn't write him a letter because she's, like, kind of into Griff. But Griff wrote him a letter and was like, Catherine is the perfect woman. So Duke chooses Catherine. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And then, boom, at a quarter of the way through the book, turns out Griff's father tried to kill the queen, and they're all on the run. They've all been— <laughs> I mean, his older hasn't? Griff, his father, and his older brother have all been taken to the Tower of London. And I'm like, what is happening? Amazing. The father is— I think killed for treason. The two brothers like get out by the skin of their teeth, but end up being like they've stripped of their titles and now and they've had to live in the rookeries for like nine months and nice. learn how to fight bare knuckle and dirty on the street. Listen. And I'm like, put it yeah. in my veins. Of course. And then Griff comes back and it all like, I'm not gonna tell you the whole plot, but it's just. Perfect. Fantastic, because the structure of this book, the I mean, when we talk about conflict, like, the internal conflict of this book is, like, what you want, what you think you want. I mean, I talk about mm -hmm. this all the time when I teach conflict classes, but, like, what, the, what these characters think they want in the world is so totally not what they actually want in the world. So, like, they both have to learn, they have to come to terms with a lot of the things that the world has told them to be and want and do. He literally has lost his entire identity and has to, like, reframe himself as this, like, you know, mm -hmm. delicious scoundrel. And she, like, is really struggling with, you know, this sense of what women, like, this cottage should be hers. Like, she loves it the most. It means everything to her. But, like, because she's a woman, she can't just get it. And because, you know, her stupid grandma had this stupid idea about titles being important, <laughs> she can't marry it either unless she chooses to turn her back on love. Yeah. And it is... So mm -hmm. romantic because Lorraine Heath books are. And if you're just looking for a book to just sink into. So good. Scoundrel of my heart. All right. So here's our jump. This one we both read for mm -hmm. tossing someone out and you think you don't want them anymore. So let's talk mm -hmm. about Run, Posey, Run by yeah. Kate Wells. Now, this one is not going to be in the box, everybody, because it was it's self-published. So, it, you know, your best bet is to just download it. To a device, I don't even know if they have print copies available. So this is just one of those ones that won't be in the box because of its format. So we have also talked about this book a bunch of times, so we're just going to talk about it really fast. But I will yep. tell you, there are a handful of books in my life where I have, like, read to the end and immediately read to the beginning and started again, and this is one of them. And I've also reread this book a couple of times this year because if there is a thing I love more than anything else in this entire godforsaken world it is in a romance novel when one of the love interests almost always a hero tells the heroine to get out and she's yeah like, all right fine bye Peace and then out. five minutes later he's like fuck i should i shouldn't have said that and he cannot find her big anywhere mistake. big big mistake <laughs> big and this book is delightful. I don't know. I mean, and look, it's maybe not, I, I think one of the things that I really liked, so that is like the, the plot that pulled me in. It's essentially a mafia romance. The hero, his name is Dario Volpe, and he is the, like, the money man for the local mobsters, right? He just makes money all day. And because of that, he's so essential to their operations and their business. And he cannot figure out why in a in a life when he's basically had, like, no feelings about anyone whatsoever, Jose Santoro is his person he cannot stop thinking about. And so, the, like, literally watching, like, talk about a man with no feelings. I mean, I think he literally self-identifies as, like, a psychopath. Don't worry, everybody. It's fine. Um, and he is like, I just, I have to, I have to know what she's doing. I have to make her happy. I have to have her in my life if I'm going to be complete. 
And you know what? Listen, I can't get enough of shit like that. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know or care what it says about me, but mm-hmm. it's all I want. And this book is pitch perfect from beginning to end for me. Yeah, there's something about this like rough, monstrous, powerful dude who just like just tying himself in knots. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole ball game. It's basically to me like the you know I love the master is that the mm-hmm. one I, why can I right that's the this, one you love to me was very similar to the master it whatever is in the DNA of that book was in the DNA of this book for me yeah and this year we did that dark romance episode yes and you know from the episode those of you who listened to that episode know that you know for me dark romance it's just not my kink like it's mm-hmm. never going to be the genre that I immediately turn to to like find comfort. Or find something, you know, fun to read. But I think this book kind of edges up on that dark romance genre without crossing over too, too, much. too far for me. Same. So if this is a thing, if if you, like me, kind of like the idea of dark romance, but like kind of vaseline over. Yeah. This is right. This is a great choice. Yeah. I love this book. I really yeah. do. I've read it a bunch of times. Okay, so I think for this next one, this is one Sarah and I both wanted to put on the list. And I think our mm-hmm. I think our leap is gonna be the taciturn hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good right? one. I mean, a, I mean basically a lot of these have that, but you know, we are who we are. And that is It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. Now, Sarah, I am am I've not watched the television show Shits Creek. So perhaps you should talk about that <laughs> angle because that wasn't what brought me to this book, but I think it would be really appealing to a lot of our listeners. Yeah. So the heroine Piper is basically Alexis Rose. She's like a at first glance, she's like a flighty kind of Instagram influencer who like travels all over the world and gets herself into daddy's money trouble and her father's super rich. And, um, she ends up like having, she, she makes a giant mistake, falls into some big trouble, lands herself into, in jail. (laughs) And then, um, her father, her, it's not her father. It's her her stepfather, right? Right. Her stepfather is like, no, Enough. Enough. Like, you and your crazy sister, who is equally, you know, you know, needs, you both need some straightening out. And so you're going to go, and you are going to run this dive bar in rural Washington State. And so she, like, heads herself out there kind of, like, disappointed, that she has to go. I mean, obviously disappointed. Sure, right. It's slightly different than Shit's Creek in that there's still, like, money in the hill, but um, not <laughs> for Piper. Like, Piper is being punished. Yeah. And she gets out there, and she's like, you know that song? Oh, God, what's that song? That common people, Pulp, Pulp sings the original one. But basically, like, it's, like, all about this, like, poor little rich girl who, like, is, is masquerading mm-hmm. as, like— a poor girl, except yeah. she's like enjoying it. Alexis is not, or Piper is not this, but there's this very real sense that when she gets out there, like she has to live this life, this like shabby life. And she's, you know, kind of flighty and does not like not having money. Yeah. I mean, right. so say we all. Well, <laughs> and also, I think for her, it's like, who am I if I'm not living my life in front of the cameras? Exactly. And there's this, you know, this very real sense. What Tessa, I think, captures in this is this idea. Again, you all know this. I've said it a thousand times. I love books that are about identity. And like what ca- Tessa captures here is like who you feel like you have to present to the world versus who you actually are. Right. Yes. Right. Because. Brendan, mm. who is a literal fucking sea captain. <laughs> Fine. I'm not even sad about it. I mean, built like a house and also <sighs> with a beard and a cap <laughs> and sure. like a lobster boat. It's not a lobster boat. Whatever. Whatever. Go with me. I'm from New England. Crab. Uh, something. <laughs> so, but not that kind of crab. I mean, he is the opposite of her. And he sees her he sees pretty her. quick. Yeah. And he's a widower. I mean, he has his own emotional baggage. I think the thing I would also say to me 
and I've been noticing this and probably talked about this a couple of years ago, is, look, I love a Tessa Bailey book, but the evolution in her writing has really been in humanizing and showing a growth arc for the men she writes. Mm-hmm. And this book, to me, was the perfect, like, it is a, I'm not even kidding you, this is, structurally speaking, I think one of the best romances written this year. It's a terrific read. It is a terrific read. It is her growth. It is his growth. It is their growth together. Everything feels, it's funny, effortlessly funny. Mm -hmm. It is warm because the people in this town, it is, right? I, 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 this book is going to be a, well, and also like, it, it has to be said that I think there are very, very few writers who nail Grumpy Sunshine the way Tessa Bailey nails Grumpy Sunshine. Agree. Yeah, perfect. Piper is so much kind of fish out of water in this town, Mm -hmm. Um, but also she is just a, she is a haymaker. Yeah. To Brendan, who, like, has not ever met anybody like her. Right. And then there's this, like, deeply emotional piece where it's like she, she is such a fish out of water Mm-hmm. But there is this question of, like, is she ever going to be able to, like, how will these two ever end up together because they are so fundamentally different? Yeah. Right. How's that going to work? And so yeah. it's so believable in a way that, like you said, Tess's growth as a writer really has been to build these characters who, it's 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 heart-aching at parts, this yeah. book. Yeah. And yes, can we I talk agree. about how fucking Hot. sexy it is? Listen. <laughs> Listen. Like, yeah. Tessa Bailey bananas. knows how to bring the heat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know this, right, from Tessa. Right. We don't, if she ever wrote something closed door, I would just fall right off my chair. But it is woof. I never, like, sex has a lot of ways of being in a romance novel. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think, again, is so what, – what the reason one of the reasons I think Tessa Bailey excels at writing really hot romance is because the emotion – like, she really deeply understands that emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy and a romance go together. And when you read these scenes, they are hot not only because of, like, the actual sex, but the way they are literally, like, bearing themselves to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. So – because sex has a lot of different ways of being in romance novels, I'm going to talk about For the Love Perfect. of April French next. Nice. Um, which is a debut novel by Penny Ames and was an absolute delight. This book is about April French, who is a trans woman who is a sub, a sort of like longstanding sub at a kink club that and she's she's been there for so long or she's been a member for so long or she's such a regular there that everybody who goes there knows her and she's sort of like a maternal figure in a lot of ways there you're new to the whole scene she'll she'll like walk you through it she's very cool but there's a reason why she spends most of her you know Fridays and Saturdays or whatever at this club and that is because she does not trust generally the wide world like she feels safe here she feels protected here and there's something so uh April is is trans and Penny Ames is also trans a trans woman i think that what's really interesting about this book and important about this book is that April is April's transness is important to the story in that she is keenly aware of the way the world can perceive trans women. And so she is naturally cautious around men, specifically cis, het men. And she doesn't always feel like she is safe in the outside world, but she feels very safe at Frankie's, this club. Well, in comes Dennis, who is the hero, and he is a dom, and his last relationship was his marriage, which ended in divorce because he'd had this, like, icky kink moment with his wife where he overdid it and, like, mishandled it, and her his wife was like, this is scary, I'm in the wind. 
Yeah. And there's, it's actually handled really beautifully where like, there's never any like, well, he wasn't so bad. Like he takes responsibility for what happened. Yeah. And so he gets to this moment where he like walks into this club and he's, you know, they see each other and he is a, or he's a young, he's not young, but he's a young Dom, right? Like yeah. he's never really done this before. Okay. And so April, so they have, again, this is, it reminded me a lot of Alexis Hall's, um, for real, for real, because it had this kind of feel of subverting the way we think about doms and subs Mm -hmm. and also about, you know, really placing learning kink on the page. Yeah. In a way where neither character was innocent or a virgin or like, all that shit is out. Like, nobody's right. 18 in this book. These are grown people who, like, have lives and understand themselves in a lot of ways, in, in many ways. I mean, not, not in all ways, because that's part of the romance. But really two people who, like, understand what they want and are understand that they have much to learn. Mm-hmm. And I really loved how thoughtful it was and I loved these characters and it's funny like the voice is really funny April's really funny and I just I really loved this book I loved the look into as as you all know people who have listened for a long time know that like BDSM clubs sometimes they really work for me and sometimes they really don't but this definitely did because it really gave me a sense of the club being in a lot of books clubs are wallpaper on the right. wall, right? Like, they're just, we're here because where else are we going to find a St. Andrew's cross? <laughs> I mean, some weirdo Pennsylvanian, you know, on right. Zillow, Sex but dungeon, but that's different. Yes. <laughs> but all, but now they go to this club because it represents something to them. It's community for right. them. And so it's like found family and there's lots of stuff in here that I really love. Like a lot of like things that ticked all my boxes. And there's a little bit like he's her boss, but like What's cool about this is he's her boss, and she realizes it after the fact, but then there's no reference to it. Like, she knows he's her boss, but not boss. He sort of runs the department that she works for, and he's, like, three or four above right, her. Right, okay. So they've had no interaction, but she, like, knows it. And so there's this, like, secret piece. But here's the cool thing. It's written in dual first person. Mm-hmm. So it's them together, you know, in, in April's POV. And then it's the six months of edging in April's POV. And then it reveals that, oh, he knows that she works in the company with him, mm. but has never said anything. And then the whole thing flips and goes back six months. Oh, I love And the love story that. starts again. That's really and cool. And really clever and really different. Like, I couldn't think of another romance novel that does quite this same work. But it's kind of cool because I like books where sex is part of your identity. When you're sort of exploring yourself through your kinks and sexual whatever. And so this is very cool because April definitely knows herself Mm -hmm. and he doesn't. So we see April kind of come to a place where she's willing to trust him and then we we go back and we see him work out his thing, That's which cool. is not about trust. It's about something else entirely. And then we see them fall for each other. And also what's cool about it is you get, you know, I don't know, 60% of the way through the book. And you think the whole story has gone in one direction and that the story is true the way it's gone. And then suddenly you get the flip and you realize, you know, Dennis has been in love with her from the start. I love that. I really loved it. As everybody knows, I love it when somebody does something a little different. And, I mean, I cannot wait to read her next book because I just think she's she's a new voice that I was really excited to find this year. I think that's a part about romance, too, is there's so many people that are new always, like, finding those fresh voices and mm-hmm. then being really excited for what's next. That is a deeply comforting feeling for yeah. me. Like, romance will go on, you know? Because it's a balance between what we started with, was, which was— here are authors who we know will always deliver. And so I understand that if you're a longstanding romance reader, you fall into oftentimes a rut where you're afraid to try new things because 
we have all been burned by new things, but you will not be burned by Penny Ames unless you are singed by the hot sex, because that <laughs> is a piece of this. There is this, I mean, like, within, God, like, 20 pages, there's this crazy sex scene Ooh. that involves, like, a magic wand, and it's hot. <laughs> so, there you go. A plus, Penny. Can't wait for the next one. Okay, so I am going to make a leap to All the Best Nights by Hannah Ernst. My leap here is Hot Sex, but also, I don't know, you mentioned a cover <laughs> song and these are musicians, so My maybe leap it's is tenuous. Hot sex. My leap is Hot Sex. Whatever. Listen, that's fine. Here's also, this is, I guess, the one disclaimer. Hannah is, in fact, like a friend of mine. When I started my romance book club at 57th Street Books, she was, like, the one person that came, like, from the neighborhood that was just like, I like romance, and I saw it in the bookstore window. And, however, even though we're friendly, you know, we're friends, I have her phone number, she wrote this entire book, got an agent, and it was, like, well on the way, essentially, to, like, final page proofs before I got wind of the fact that it existed. So I do not feel like it is breaking the... The, like, we don't talk about our friends' books here because I literally had nothing to do with it. I was like, wait, Hannah did what? <laughs> so I was like, how come Hannah didn't tell me? This book is called All the Best Nights, and it is a rock star romance. And I really love a rock star romance, so obviously I think this was really appealing to me. But the two characters are Bran, Kelly, and Nell. And she's, like, basically like Madonna. I think she only has a first name. And she actually jokes that she's like, at some point, if we get married, they're going to call me Nellie Kelly. <laughs> and she's, like, pissed about it. But the thing that I really loved about this book is it has a real romance reason set up. And that is that they are both both so burned by being celebrities. Everyone mm. wants a piece of them. And the betrayal by friends and family, Bran's father in particular, is essentially um, his beloved grandmother has just died and left her home to Bran's father. But it is full of, like, memorabilia from his youth. And his own father is like, if you don't pay me off, I'm going to sell off your childhood on eBay. It is so, right, I mean, it's so devastating to him to be used in this way by his own father for money. And so the two of them make this really wild deal at the beginning, which is they're going to, they're in Chicago for the night. They've been sort of flirting back and forth for a year, but they're never in the same city. And they are going to go to Michigan, where it is possible, essentially, to have a secret courthouse marriage. They can seal the records. And the appeal of this to them is essentially like, this is something no one will have but us. We will have our secret marriage. So they go off and they get married. And then the rest of the book is essentially just like the nights that they can spend together. A, you know, a month or two will pass and they'll be, in, you know, she'll be able to see him and he'll be able to see her. And the evolution of, you know, really of their relationship on this tight wire of only a couple of nights here and there over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. I I love when you can see, like, the influence of one author on another. And Hannah loves Lisa Kleypas. Ah. <laughs> like, if someone's not getting, like, kidnapped at the end of the book, Hannah is not interested in it. And I really felt like, as a reader, I was like, this book is going to have a real, like, bang-up ending. There's no way it couldn't. Hannah is steeped in the blood of Lisa Kleypas. <laughs> like, whatever it was that Radcliffe said. Like, I really knew and expected that the way this was all going to, like, turn out would be essentially, like, I don't know if that makes sense, right? Like, and I I love that. So I loved seeing, obviously, like, a debut novel. I love seeing those clear influences. But I also loved, this is often how I sell this to people. If you loved the movie A Star is Born but hated the ending, <laughs> yeah, this book is, like, a corrective, because there, you know, she is not willing to be Bran Kelly's muse. And at one point, she's so furious, and she basically says, basically, like, I'm going to think of him as my muse. Like, fuck you. And I, like, I mean, I think I fist-pumped when I read it. And so if, you know, if you loved A Star is Born, but you wanted, like, a high drama but different ending, this book is going gonna, is gonna to hit you right where it hurts. I loved it. It's terrific. Oh, yay. I haven't read that one yet, and I cannot wait. It's really good. I feel like we should go from one heroine who refuses to be somebody's muse to another heroine who, like, is just super badass. And so we should do Bev Jenkins' Wild Rain next. Yes. 
We are avowed Beverly Jenkins stands here yes, at Faded Mates, both the person and the writing. And Wild Rain is, uh, it's a great, great read. It begins with our heroine, Spring. I think it has one of the best beginnings. It has like a truly historical beginning that just is Her delightful. beginnings are always so, here's a woman who knows the importance of a beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, it is Wyoming. <laughs> it is winter, or it's not winter, it's like spring, it's like fall. And so it, it's not super winter, but it's it's snowing is the important piece. And our hero, who is from, I don't know, some city Best somewhere. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's a city I mean, slicker. He's He doesn't know about snow in Wyoming. <laughs> I mean, I know, I feel for him because I would literally die. Like, I, it would sure. take me 25 minutes in the snow in Wyoming, and I would be dead. So he is has arrived in Wyoming to write. He's a, he's a journalist. What a kitten. <laughs> I know. He's arrived in Wyoming to write a piece about doctors for his Black newspaper back east. And it is, he's going off to find this doctor in the wilds of Wyoming. Um, and it is snowing, and he is going to die on the side <laughs> yes. of the road. <laughs> I mean, just flatly. Yes, he has no chance. And uh, he's wearing like dress shoes. I mean, I he's mean, got he, nothing. It's nonsense. So he uh, along comes a carriage. Luckily, is it a carriage? Do we call it a carriage? I don't know. I Whatever. feel like there's probably a better word for it. But spring in it in the carriage, driving the carriage, sure. is a trousers wearing mm. like badass of a heroine named Spring who stops and is basically like, "Hey, you're totally gonna die out here. <laughs> Let me save you." <laughs> These men. (laughs) And so uh, there we are, off to the races. Yeah. And this book is about Spring and Garrett falling for each other. Talk about fish out of water. We also could have done that. Oh, yeah. Falling for each other out in the wilds of Wyoming. Here's a heroine who never thought. Yeah. Love was going to happen. She doesn't want children. And it's not like oh, maybe I could be convinced. It's like, no, No. thank you. I'm good. You know what I loved about her? And when I say this, like, has stuck with me. Like, you know how there's those, like, there's certain parts of a a romance character that you know we're going to, like, live in your soul forever? Yep. And I, I guess maybe it's a spoiler. I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling it. But when she was a young woman, Mm -hmm. her grandfather, um, her, her brother goes off to medical school. And leaves her with her grandfather, who's like, I don't really want to have to deal with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And is like, he's like, you're going to have to get married or whatever. You know, just get out of here. You know, like, I've set it up so you could marry somebody terrible. And at that point, she makes a choice for herself mm-hmm. that is. I think you have to. Spo- I think you should spoil this. This is important. Yeah. She goes to, like, the local rancher and says, you know, I'm great with horses. Give me a job. And he's like, great, but I, you need to basically be my whore. I mean, it's not like my mistress, right? He's like, I get to fuck you whenever you want. And she's like, okay. And then her, this man's son is essentially using her the same way. Mm-hmm. And Colton, her brother, only hears that she is like wild. He doesn't understand the pain that this causes her. And so she like works for these men until she makes enough money to be on her own. But her determination to never be in the position where a man has that kind of power over her again mm-hmm. is uh, honestly, I, I don't know. Like I was deeply, deeply like, and still am like, I think about that choice so often, mm-hmm. like the, the choices women have to make, especially in this case, right. A, a woman who is black and native American in Wyoming and the 18, you know, mm-hmm. like there were very few choices for her, but you know what? It still was a choice she was determined to make. I was going to say yeah. the hallmark of a Beverly Jenkins book is a heroine who makes her own choices, yeah. who yeah. writes her own story. And that is I mean, that's the magic of all of her books, but yeah. this one particularly in it spoke to me in so many yes, in so many ways and it felt like the right book. Talk about a book that felt like the right book for this year. Too. Yeah. Like I just yeah. I have thought about spring all the time. Since I read this book. Yeah. I mean, just as as a character who is a role model and also a character who, like, 
oh God, it just feels, I mean, all of her choices feel so thorough. I yes. don't know if that's like, that the feels right like the right, right word, but it's, I, it feels like she has such a depth and new, like a, this is Spring's book in yes. many, many ways. Like there's yes. Garrett. There, is there, there you go. Garrett is such a great hero, but like talk about a hero who like is just, he is there to hold her and like let her be amazing. Again, why I come to romance. It's like, I want to read about women who are, it's like, I played the hand I was dealt and I have no regrets, right? And that to me is spring. Like, she's like, you're not going to make me feel bad about those choices. I did yeah. what I had to do to be the person I wanted to be. And I... I cannot, I mean, like you said, Everly, every Beverly Jenkins heroine has that quality, but this one in particular, I think will, it just really, I don't know, like at a very deep soul level, I just felt like I really, I think about her a lot, I guess I'd say. I think about her yeah, a lot. Yeah, same. Also, I just want to underscore her desire to not have children being like part of a much wider theme this year in romance. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it seemed like a lot of people including myself, were writing heroes, sort of, uh, not heroes, uh, a lot of people, including myself, yeah. were writing heroines who had chosen to be child-free, which I do think, I just want to put a pin in that as I think that that's a very big hallmark of romance 20, yeah. post or during the pandemic. Yeah. Because we're all here with our kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, and as right access for so many not for rich white women, mm -hmm. but for so many women, these choices are getting narrower and narrower. Mm -hmm. So reestablishing the idea that having children is not what makes you a valuable person in the world. Okay, so let me pivot now to a very different kind of heroine, one who did make some choices and she's now living with them, but it's not sort of happy in the way spring is. And that is a category romance, a Harlequin Presents, called After the Billionaire's Wedding Vows by Lucy Monroe. Worth saying, even though this was a Harlequin Presents and is available in paper, it was not available for the box. So you're going to have to get this on uh, Kindle. Although, or, you know, platform of your choice. Although if you do have Kindle Unlimited, this is one of the books they are putting back. They're putting old categories, like six months old in, in KU. And this is one of them. So Oh, that's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you, okay, we talked about like kind of the things that get us through. I grew up reading category romance. Category romance is deeply, deeply comforting to me. And so it doesn't surprise me to, like, a category romance, like, got on my radar this year. And this one, and also, listen, there's some really interesting comments. I think, I can't remember exactly who did. I'll find it and put it in show notes about, like, from a couple of Jewish authors saying that, like, groveling is really, like, rooted in, like, Christian mythology, like, sort of that need for suffering and redemption. Oh, interesting. And I was like— Oh, that is interesting. And I mean, I went to Catholic school my entire childhood. Maybe why that's why I love groveling. I love groveling. And this book is a book-long grovel. And I'm going to tell you, I loved all of it. I mean, click, click, click. Click, click, click. Here's the setup. Pollyanna is an American, just a regular American, who at some point in the past meets up with this, you know, Greek billionaire, Alexandros. Mm. And they get married. But of course now, his name is Alexandros. Of course it is. Now that is a marriage in trouble. She is about six months pregnant with their second child, and they are they have at like weekly dinner at the mother his his mother's home, and he his brother is newly married, and he's like kind of like coming out of the fog where he notices that like his brother treats his wife differently than Alexandros treats Pollyanna, and in fact he kind of is like how perplexing <laughs> yeah he's like wait I think my wife is miserable. Like, oh, wait, I think I've made her miserable. And you guys, listen, I'm going to tell you, this book to me, and, okay, look, it's like super over the top because it's a Harlequin Presents. You know, he moved her off of the family estate into some like island and he has to chop her back and forth to work every day, right? We're talking like crazy rich people shit. But the thing that I found myself thinking is that Polly, and in fact, everyone, like his mother is like, Polly is such a, you know, like an American middle-class name. I'm going to call her Anna. And everyone calls her Anna, including her husband. I mean, and she's like, I don't, that's not even me. 
Imagine, imagine somebody, just your husband just being like, no, we're not going to call you that. And he just, like, she just, over the course of years, like, that fiery kind of person that he fell in love with has just, like, shut down. So, wait, can I ask? So, this book begins this book begins, in the future. Like, they yes, fell in love in the past. They fell in love in the past. Is it time slip? No, not really. Like, there's some conversations, like, remember when you used to do this? Like, she yeah. would just bring it up in this matter-of-fact way. And so, he is, like, they're on the helicopter home from the dinner. And he's like, do you think I'm a bad husband? And he And she was like... Well, of course. What are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> and he was like, but wait. Get it. <laughs> I mean, listen, and I've got to tell Buying you, like, right now. he is so dumbfounded. Like, she's dumbfounded by his questions. Like, he's like, but I make sure you're taken care of. And she's like, you do? Okay. Like, she doesn't even fight with him. I mean, and the whole entire book is him figuring out just how much he has fucked up. I love it. And I've got to tell you. I enjoyed the hell out of it. When you read a category romance like this, where, like, you know, middle-class person gets swept off their feet into, like, the lifestyle of a very rich man, you kind of have that moment where you're like, how is that going to work out? And this book, in a lot of ways, felt like sort of this really interesting, like, okay, let's take a look at that that. five years later. I like that. Right? Let's take a look at this trope that we all love in these Harlequin Presents and really think, okay, five years in the future, what would it be like for that woman to have to, like, you know, go to a stylist and have a house decorated by someone else and have a man so rich he makes all the decisions for you and can't even imagine it any other way. It's a cult clash of cultures. She's an American in Greece. I mean, it really felt, I don't know, it was great. That's cool. It's like a subversive presents. Yes, it really was. It was very much a subversive presents. So I, like I it. loved it a lot. Okay. So my final pick doesn't fit. Well, subversive. No, uh, subversive. Subversive romance. There you go. Because this book, (laughs) I talked about it on an earlier episode, so I won't delve too, too deep into it. But my final pick is The Mysterious Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton. It is also a debut novel. Um, I discovered India this year, and I... A historical Regency gas lamp fantasy adventure pirate flying house novel. As one does. <laughs> and here's the thing. I love a author who swings for the fucking fences. Yes. And like this book is so, if you let yourself go, you cannot walk into this book thinking like, I'm going to get a ballroom historical or a, you can't even really walk into this book going, I'm going to get a gas lamp fantasy. Like, you have to walk into this book going, this is going to be like nothing I have ever read before in my life. And I'm I'm either going to love it or not love it, but it's, I'm going to be on a ride. It's going to take me for a ride. The heroine Cecilia has been raised by her eccentric, kind of bizarre aunt. Well, there's a flying house, so obviously somebody's eccentric. (laughs) And she is a member of the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, who are thieves and also (laughs) other kinds of criminals. They're like a criminal sisterhood, (laughs) which, I mean, fine, sign me up. And uh, they also have magic powers and can fly their houses places if they need to. (laughs) It begins with... um, (laughs) How do I even start? (laughs) It begins with a pirate named Ned climbing up the side of her house and knocking on the window of the library while she and her aunt are inside to warn her that an Italian, <laughs> no, to warn her that her neighbor, that their nemesis um, has hired an Italian assassin to kill her. But then there are like multiple, Ned has like multiple identities. It's possible he is the Italian assassin. It's complicated, but also he's also the hero. And it is very weird. There's, you know, an immediate, like, explosion inside the house in, like, chapter one. And we're off to the races again. And as you can all imagine, this 
this was a delight for me because it was so bizarre. Yes. But also extremely fun and talk about, you know, we talk so much about what is a Mm rom-com, you know, and... I think that one of the great failings of how we're talking about romance right now is that we're saying, like, oh, rom-coms must be contemporaries. This is absolutely madcap Mm. and very fun if you let yourself have fun with it. Yeah. And it felt way more like a rom-com than a lot of the things that are currently billed as rom-coms in romance. And I was thoroughly delighted by it. Lovely. So, you know, if you are just looking for, if you're like, I'm tired, I'm tired of all of these books that feel the same. Yeah. I think a number of the books that we have listed here today are books that don't feel the same, but this book really, really does <laughs> not feel the same. Yeah. And um, there is a second book, I think, that is out now. I think it's on my my ebook reader, and I just haven't I gotten to it. Yet. Is it not out yet? It might be on my ebook reader because sure. I'm lucky and I have it. Yeah, the next book is called The League of Gentle Women Witches. That's sure. 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 And the heroine is fighting the hero in a sword match on the cover, and she's holding a broom. That comes out in March, everybody. <laughs> if you look at the covers and they seem like a thing you might want to read, I don't know. You should just read the first par- first chapter of this book. And if it seems like a thing that's fun, read it. It's great. You're going to get it in the box, and it's going to be great. Yeah, get it in the box. Tell get everyone it about the, the box. box again, Jen. Well, okay, so everybody. What's in the box? What's in the box is eight of these ten titles. And? And stickers and some Old Town Book swag. Yeah, you don't know Old what Town Book And a, a letter from us to inspire you, I guess. I don't know. Sarah usually just writes to everybody. I'm not very good at that kind of thing. That's false, but okay. <laughs> but eight of the ten books will be in there. The two that are not are Run, Posey Run by Kate Wells and After the Billionaire's Wedding Vows by Lucy Monroe, just because of uh, one's indie and get it electronically. The other is an old presents and they couldn't get copies of it. Uh, It's from, I think, earlier this year. Obviously, this year, 20 February or March, I think. But all the rest of them will be in the box. You should order it. My understanding is Old Town Books is going to make their page go live today as you are listening. But because who knows how shit is gonna go we really recommend that you order and i'm pretty sure on their page they will have sort of a if you order by this date we guarantee you will get it in time for christmas but please be patient because things are hard and also you know it's great for a holiday gift if you know somebody who is like my mom and just like doesn't have any ideas this is a good thing to ask people for for your holiday gift um but if you want to just get it and celebrate your own quiet holiday in your house the, sure. the day of you. We're not going to stop you. We think this is a great choice. Um, and also, on top of it, you're supporting all these great writers. You're supporting a great independent bookstore that has been really on board with Theta Mates from the start. Yeah. And thanks to Allie and everyone at Old Town Books, we know that you also listen to the podcast. So we don't take that lightly. I was in their store once and it was awesome. So amazing. Um, I know because Allie sent me an email and was like, oh, apparently Jen was in my store at some point and, and I wasn't there. <laughs> I was like, well, she sneaks in like the fog. Sure. On little cat feet. <laughs> it's a little Carl Sandburg poem, everyone. Um, everybody have a great week. Tell us your favorite books of yeah, the year. Yeah, we hope that you, if you've read any of these and love yeah. them, let us know on Twitter at Fatamates or on Instagram at FatamatesPod. Find us at Fatamates.net where you can find, you know, other goodies and things. This feels a little like it's the end of the year, but it's not yet. We have a bunch of episodes coming. We have a Trailblazer episode next week. Surprise who it will be. Yeah. I love, that is my favorite thing so far about the Trailblazer episodes is yes. seeing everybody go, who's next? Getting texts from friends. Who's next? And we haven't I know. told anyone. It's a secret. <laughs> On show notes this week, we will also be putting some of our favorite books by our friends. We mentioned some at the top, but we'll probably add some. There are so many great books this year um, that we will, and, you know, just check out a lot of them we have talked about on the podcast already this year. So have a great week. Tell us your favorites. And I hope none of your refrigerators die the week before Thanksgiving. 